Welcome back to another episode. My name is George Brooks. And on today's episode, we got a chance to talk with Tracy Edwards. She's the Chief Product Officer at Sales Benchmark Index. And though Tracy and I could have spent the entire conversation talking about Figma designs and Jira tickets, instead we realized it's about people. And sometimes that includes tears, and sometimes it means staying up all night to bake a pie. That's right. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, so let's jump right in. Tracy, thanks for joining us today. I'm super excited to have you on. I want to throw it to you first. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this crazy world of product. Absolutely. Um, so I came in from a little bit of a non-traditional background. Um, I'm old enough where I was originally a business analyst. Do you remember when we had these people? Oh, yeah. Before product people. Uh-huh. Mid-sized organizations. That's all we had. Yeah. Um, and I actually came over from the client services side of things. So traditionally working with clients, marketing, business development. And I ended up, for some reason, having every single client who had a really tough technical integration. And not surprisingly, my trick of copying and pasting emails back and forth between two CTOs was not working very well for me to successfully mm, yeah. onboard clients. <laughs> right. So um, I was lucky enough pretty early on in my career that I had a really good CTO. Uh, I came to him and I said, look, this isn't working. I've, I've got to figure out what are you guys actually building and why it's failing on the other side. There's this thing you built called an API. What the hell is it? And his live eyes just lit up. He's like, wait, you actually want to learn about what we do over here? I'm like, yeah, I, I need it to do my job. So he took me under his wing and mentored me and taught me everything that was going on from a technical standpoint, told me what was happening on the client side of things that were failing on their side. Um, so I became kind of this small subject matter expert within client services. Um, and then I just, that was it. Like the engineers were like, oh my gosh, there's a human on the other side we can talk to. And all the marketing and salespeople are like, go talk to Tracy. She's that person that could talk to the engineers. Um, and as you, you just know, became George, the most valuable source of information. <laughs> I love it. Essentially, that's what product people do, right? We can talk to the engineering and design teams. We understand their pain points, but we also truly understand customers and how it goes to market and sales. So that was kind of the foray into it. Um, and then I, I just slowly got deeper and deeper into it. So taught myself how to code a little bit as necessary, uh, whiteboarding, slowly learned agile methodology, um, and eventually took over for running product design and engineering teams um, and kind of found my sweet spot. You, I love that you started out the fact that it really just became about learning, right? I mean, it yeah. was about picking it up and saying, uh, I need that. Thank you. And how do I have more of it? What a gift that this person would say, yeah, I'll spend some time with you and kind of bring you up to speed. Yeah. Um, I love that that really then dovetails into the fact that you have to learn through the perspective of not everybody gets this. They're not all talking yes. our language. <laughs> Um, what does that, yes. what does that look like as you're kind of working with these different organizations over your career of how to be that translator, how to be that person, quote unquote, in the middle of this conversation? Well, it's interesting because I think maybe coming up from the client services side of things, I'm not so worried about that. Like they're great communicators for the most part. They're paid to be in front of clients. They understand how to make a point. 
Um, they're in sales for a living, essentially. Right. It's the engineering side of things that I really dug my heels into and realized that a lot of times they don't have a voice across the organization, especially in non-technology organizations, which has kind of been my bread and butter. Um, they tend to be the department of ticket takers. They tend yeah. to be the house of no. Um, and the people who just aren't traditionally the ones, you know, playing beer pong and ringing gongs and getting the accolades across the organization. They're like, oh, something went down, go talk to so-and-so. And that's kind of all they get. Right. So the joy for me has been finding ways to evangelize the work that the engineering team is doing and further than drawing the, the business goals that they're helping achieve. So they don't just say like, oh, I built a button big deal. How do you get up and go to bed or, you know, get up and go to work every day if that's kind of your only purview into the world? How do you see it extended into the life of customers and how it's helping the organization and the goals as a whole? It is about, I think you, you, you named it so well, there's, there's a gap, right? And there's a gap between the value being provided and either the people that understand that value which might be inside the organization or the people that are actually using that value, which would be the user or the customer or whoever. Um, what have you found helps? How do you, how do you find that you've been able to represent that, that voice and that value that's being provided? First thing I do as often as possible is to get an engineer and a designer in the room with a customer or someone else within the organization. Um, I think they're probably the smartest, most underutilized people, um, and they rarely have a seat at the table to actually hear firsthand what's happening. So within reason, you know, I want them to be able to do their jobs, but if sure. there's someone especially who wants to take a little bit more of an active role or hear firsthand, although I do see myself and product people as translators, our job isn't to get in the way of that. It's mm -hmm. really to give them a seat at the table. So mm -hmm. that's the first part of it. Um, I have regular one-on-ones with, this has been kind of uh, ongoing throughout my career with different people across the C-suite or across the organization, kind of as placeholders. And whenever it's appropriate to get someone in the room with them to hear firsthand and to see firsthand what's going on, I think that's, that's really important. So one is just regular one-on-ones, relationship building in general. Um, the second piece, which I'm learning more about now, which I really love is a, a lot of organizations will traditionally do like a demo day. Um, right. You know, in non-engineering organizations, we have to call them something else because no one else understands what they are. Of course, so of course. Had product coffee chats. I'm, I'm currently running like a product forum happy hour on Friday evenings now. Um, just to get people to show up and to hear what we're doing and something that's, that's kind of fun. And I think coming from a more traditional engineering background, they are a little bit more technical and demo-y and they usually, your audience is the other engineering team. And I recently had a guy who I work with, uh, his name is John Staples and he is like through and through this incredible salesperson, like been doing this for 25 years, could sell anything imaginable um and he got done with the last happy hour and he called me up he's like tracy i got some feedback and i was like okay let's go here we go like, let's do it you just had an hour to sell me something about product and engineering what what did you do for me like that was your sales pitch for that hour you've got to tighten that up i'm like whoa 
He's like, yeah, you know, mm. the games, the demos, those are all great. But essentially, I want you in the very opening sentiment to, to start with, what are you doing for me? How is this going to help my life? And if you're not doing that in a demo day or your product forum or whatever the heck you want to call it, you've lost your audience immediately. So I'm starting to think more like a salesperson in terms of, okay, I have an hour of a captive audience. How am I going to sell them on engineering and product and what we're doing and how to propel the organization? Not just showing pretty stuff and that, you know, database queries work, which is the stuff I get excited about. Of course, of course. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. And I mean, we've heard it before, right? It's, it's easier to say than it is actually to do where people say, you know, everybody's selling. You know, whether you're yeah. in sales or not, you're having to sell your ideas, you're having to sell your, the reasons behind your decisions. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly in sales. And I would say most engineers or even people that work closely with engineers would go, ah, sales is somebody else's job, right? Yeah. I don't need to do that. And what, a, what an interesting shift in perspective or shift in positioning to say, yeah, but if I'm going to get buy-in, from the people that are going to have to champion the, this work being done, then I need to I need to sell to them. There's actually a lot of great work on something called innovation capital. I don't know if you've studied this before, but there's a great Harvard Business Review podcast out there if anybody wants a quick 20 minute snippet, um, which really goes into this. And it's kind of the the multifaceted ways that you can be able to tell stories and evangelize and get people on board well in advance of delivery and it's often thought of like you know the the unicorn ceos and tech companies of how they get funding and how they get buy-in um but i've used a lot of those techniques in teeny tiny organizations where you're really just trying to get buy-in from 50 people or across the c-suite because it's the same concept you're innovating and you need somebody to kind of go along with you on this journey well before you have anything delivered and the reality is it's, that's how human beings communicate, right? We, we, yeah, tell exactly. sto- we tell stories to each other to build bridges and to you know, find understanding in some way. But sometimes we forget that when we go to work. It's like, well, here, let me tell you the 17 tickets that I closed and the number of commits that I made and, um, and <laughs> the number of screens that were designed. Isn't that... Doesn't, don't you get it? <laughs> I mean, George, I get it. That's the beauty of it. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Um, of course. Yeah. How do you actually translate that back out to the rest of the organization? Exactly it. You've been in a couple of different organizations. Where are there, where have there been times when this has been challenging? You know, that it's been hard to kind of close that gap. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any examples of some good stories of, oh of my gosh. trying yeah, to close uh, that gap? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, I can tell you a couple of horror stories. So uh, one of the first CEOs I worked with when I was more on the kind of product owner side of things, um, I, product and engineering were split within that organization. And I said, I can't get this guy to, to do what I need him to do. He says it's in the backlog. I don't really know what that means. How, how do I convince him? And her advice to me, she was so matter of fact, she said, oh, it's quite simple. Just go in his office and sit down and start crying. It works for me every time. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Oh, dead serious. Dead serious. And I, I, <laughs> I mean, I use that all the time at Crema, but I mean, I, I didn't just surprise that other people do that. <laughs> I oh mean, it's gosh. a golden 
golden tricks. So now everybody knows that's the way to uh, the engineer's hearts is just start crying to your CTO. Um, I mean, that's just, to me, that's so fundamentally broken. If yeah, your course. CEO has to go in and that's the only way to get things done is through kind of an emotional manipulation. Yeah. Um, but there is, I mean, the reality is there is a fair amount of politicking. Um, mm. I learned this story really, really early on in my career. Uh, I It was during the California crisis of the economy and they were furloughing a lot of people. And at the time I was working for a state institution and uh, to keep my job, they put me on appointment for the president of the universe to make the annual celebration. Um, this was not the job I wanted. I had an okay. MBA. I was real annoyed by this job. Oh man. But I went for it because I needed a job. Sure. So I'm in my 20s, this this plucky young thing, and the president is basically like, okay, go make, go talk to all the seven deans and tell them we need to do this year-long celebration and what they can come up with. It was the first time I had to dip into, it's like its own little mini C-suite, right? So yeah, every single yeah. one of them has their own agenda. They sure. have deeply different cultures. Arts and humanities looks very different than, uh, you know, the library. And it was fascinating because I had these initial meetings with all these deans and said, okay, here's what I need done. And some of them were like, that's great, super cool. How can I help? And then others were like, yeah, I don't know about that. And I had to go back and say, uh, well, the president said that you have to do this. And that's all it took was like kind uh, of a hammer. Yeah, control, right. Right. And then there was one, my holdout was the head of athletics who was, it was really important. It was like a college football town. And this guy wouldn't give me the time of day. And I knew if I really wanted the community to get behind this in order to do my job, I needed athletics behind me to do this darn celebration. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so athletics, I asked, athletics drive those communities for sure. hundred percent. So it's like, you know, this is kind of like the stick in the mud CFO, if you can imagine this. And I kind of asked around and I got nothing. I got nothing. So finally I completely ate my own ego and I emailed him one line and I said, uh, what's your favorite kind of pie? Sure enough, he wrote me back and he okay. said, one word or banana cream, I guess that's two words. So I was like, okay. So I waited for a Friday staff meeting where I knew you have a big audience. It was like, and I brought in a banana cream pie that I had stayed up the night before making from scratch oh with a note that just said like, we got to work together. Let's make this happen. And there was a sense of like public humility, basically, that went mm -hmm. into that. Yeah. And sure enough, he started taking meetings with me and we did really well. The band did a giant 100. The mascot got, you know, hats and tuxedos for the start event. The wow. football players all got jerseys like it all happened. But it took that damn banana cream pie. Um, so that was a good lesson for me. I don't bake pies for people anymore. In the yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten a pie. I'm just <laughs> saying, but no, I like, like it's just tears morning. I'm going to give you. It's tears I'm going to give you. Okay. <laughs> Emotional manipulation works better with me probably too. That's that's okay. My point is that you got to take what you get sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, I yeah. don't recommend baking or crying. Uh, but there is an element that, that it isn't one side. Your right. argument for why you should be building something or investing uh, isn't going to work in the same way. People are really 
operationally minded. People mm -hmm. are big picture thinkers. Some people need storytelling. Others need really clear dollars and cents. Um, and you kind of mm. have to understand that there isn't a like, oh, I have a rice score. And so everyone will believe me. <laughs> That's right. Like that. So true. Yeah. And I think what you're, what's so brilliant about great product individuals, product owners, product managers, and our heads of product is, is they really understand how to seek out and see those, those unique perspectives that, that not everyone's on the same page. Not everyone's coming with the same motivating factors, with the same lens at which they see the world. Um, and, and being able to create empathy and create space where it can go, I get it. If that's what you need to hear, I'm here for you. You know, yeah. we'll go there. Um, understanding the purpose of why we're building this and then coming back to that purpose and vision. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard thing to navigate though. Not everybody can do that well. We have a, a new system going at SBI, which I actually really love. And we have split how we think about the organization into initiatives versus capabilities. And mm -hmm. I think that this has been really helpful from a product standpoint. So a lot of times I think we try to own initiatives, right? We have this thing, we wanna launch it and we ask sales and marketing to help us out. Um, right. Maybe we need right. some infrastructure, Maybe we need some new people from HR and we are like, hey, I've got this great idea. It's going to make all this money. Let's go. The reality is it's really hard to be an initiative owner and also be a core capability within the organization. Yeah, yeah, so you're absolutely right. I'm really happy being organized as a capability and then looking at the various initiatives and aligning my products and features and budget against existing initiatives. It almost gives me like this, this free ticket to say, okay, well, 80% of the organization is focused on optimizing delivery. How can I make sure that what we're building first and foremost helps the delivery team and clients almost secondarily, because it's gonna guarantee that we build in the right places and we have automatic buy-in. So sometimes so just an organization structure like that, if it's yeah. crisp, is a hell of a lot better than me trying to go up against everyone in the C-suite who has an idea and a need with a dollar sign attached to it. That's interesting. We, and I don't know how much you've talked to our team. One of the things that I'm working on right now is this framework. And it, it really comes back to this idea of um, postures, disciplines, and structures. And mm -hmm. postures are our mindsets, the way that we think about things, the way we approach a space or a problem or a challenge. Disciplines are obvious. It's the things that we're doing, the habits, the, the activity, the ceremonies, et cetera. But then structures, I think what you're talking a lot about there is structures where you, there, there are underpinnings of the way that we have to set things in place that give us purpose and direction and also put up some guardrails to say, here's where we can work. Um, and, and how can we do our best work in that space? And how does it serve the different stakeholders or the different uh, users. And, and then there's a kind of a matrix model to say, now where you apply your capabilities, your, your functional abilities, um, that might happen at different spectrums, depending on what the, the initiative or what the, the purpose of that space is. Um, I think that's, that's really smart. What does it take, I guess, if you kind of turn back around away from leadership specifically, what does it take to get that buy-in from the rest of the org, um, from the people, the partners, the people are on the, the ground level. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to find your super users internally before anyone else. 
Um, my best demos or my best champions are always when the end user is doing the evangelizing and I mm -hmm. just sit back and watch. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people miss the boat for that. They see a need and they see a problem, especially, I, I hate to say it, but in organizations that are profitable and doing really well, they tend to get really myopic and say, well, we've been doing this for 20 years, so why would we bother to make a transformation? Why change? Yeah. Why change? Look at our margins. They're wonderful. Um, and uh, so, okay, I'll tell another story because this one is one Please, I yeah. my, my uh, former team about all the time. So I, I had a COO once who uh, we went on holiday break and he came back and he said, oh, how are your holidays? He's like, oh, uh, you know, this wasn't my best holiday. And I'm like, oh, no. And he's like, well, uh, my husband decided that I was working from home a lot and I was lonely and uh, that I needed a cat to keep me company during the day. And in order to not have the cat drive me crazy, he decided that I actually needed two cats. So for Christmas, he bought me two kittens. And now I'm the one who has to change the litter box and get the collar and go to the vet and mm. deal with cats on conference calls. I never wanted these cats. So oh I will tell this story often in my, my product and engineering teams. And then it becomes like the saying of don't deliver kittens. Like you oh, see this problem yeah. as like, Oh, but he was lonely during the day and his husband just wanted to get him some nice kittens for Christmas. Beautiful story. And I can imagine his husband like Intentions in a were good. hat, just yeah. put bows on these things. He's oh, got yeah. this hallmark oh, yeah. moment. And at the end of the day, the care and feeding of the kittens comes down to somebody completely different. Mm. So you've got to be really crisp in identifying that problem and yeah. making sure you're actually meeting their needs. Like maybe he just wanted like a a new desk chair. That might have been it. <laughs> so don't deliver doesn't kids. creak so much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that was the case where, you know, somebody in product had, had built a CMS from scratch for two of years, course. delivered it to the content team and said, ta-da, how do you enjoy your kittens? And they all looked at them like, what we did you do? This. We really liked uh, WordPress and uh -huh. these Word docs. These are great. So I think making sure that you're even starting with the right problem and that you have evangelists from the very beginner. And, and, and there's always people who are change agents within an organization. Of course. You've just got to find them and let them raise their hand and then stick in an ear with them and see what you can build and come up with. And I think that when you have an environment, when you have an organization, especially if you're building products for your staff, for your team internally, when you have an environment that is willing to give and receive feedback well, to say, can I... Can I tell you what I like and don't like about this? Really? Because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I know you just probably spent some time on it. Do you really want to hear what I don't like? And, and that be a safe space to have those candid and honest conversations around this could get better here, or I really need this. And this is probably higher priority than maybe what you have in your backlog right now. That level of well, I guess what we would like to call collaboration mm -hmm. is really hard to fabricate. It's, it's beautiful when it happens well. Um, and I, well, I'm, I think, I'm, yeah, go ahead. We focus so much, I think, on product people as what the end user or clients and our consumers are going to see. And the CMS is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we were building that because we had a million whiz bang things that we wanted to present to clients. 
course. Their experience is going to be better. It's going to be custom. It's going to be able to do all this stuff. But we forget the people who actually have to use the darn tool are our first and foremost clients and customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the first incremental value we should deliver is to them. Yeah. Because it's dead on arrival if we can't get them to adopt it and enjoy it and start to suggest features and get feedback from clients. So you're absolutely right. It's like we skip over this step. So what I'm building now, I'm trying to think of the same way. The very first elements of value are not going to be client facing. They're going to be internal. You can mm -hmm. take a screenie of what I'm building and put it in a PowerPoint deck, just like you always do. <laughs> but at least it will be automated and pulling from a database in this case. No question. We worked with a cybersecurity company a few years back. And one of the one of the challenges was is that there was a few stakeholders that really wanted to do exactly what you said. We want this to be this super interactive thing for the end user. It'll mm -hmm. it'll be able to do all, you know, X, Y, and Z. And the the question we kept coming back to was, okay, great, great. Who's managing it? Who's gonna have to use it every day? Yeah. Like, well, it's this, it's this team. What is this team using today? Well, they're using PowerPoint or in, or Excel and, and Excel, right? Okay, what would be good enough for them to leave PowerPoint and Excel? These these products will do anything <laughs> you want them to do. Um, and so we had to strip way back to saying, okay, cool. The, this is going to pull in data, and the, the really the power of the platform is the automation. They can still use PowerPoint Excel for these other features. And the end user is still going to have a great end product that they're used to, which is a presentation. Yeah. That's step one. Now, step 10 might be that you start to drip out some, some kind of interactive ways to present yes, that. Yes, you know? exactly. Um, but don't start with, you know, dream big. That's kind of my mantra. Dream big, but start small, right? Yeah. Your recognition of the fact that if you're building internal products or people who are going to have to use the products you're building, most likely you're competing against Slack yep. and PowerPoint and anything else that's kind of bread and butter. And George, I don't know about you, but I don't want to reinvent those. I don't want to make the next LinkedIn. Uh, no, no. I just want to make something no. great for clients. Yes. So no, that's your first competition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Integrate when you can. There was a, a great speaker I saw one time that <clears throat> it was more about startups, but he was talking about what's, who's your competition? And he, he was a drummer and he did drum lessons mm -hmm. and which my side note, little rabbit trail. My daughter got a drum set for Christmas, electronic, oh. always go with the electronic cause they can put the headphones on and it's all you hear is just like a tapping, not. Is this drums. like a kid situation? Who wanted the drum set? <laughs> she begged for it. So okay. I, 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 I can't, that was a, that was a weak dad moment. I'm going to be honest. So, <laughs> but, and she sat down and she started to try to play. And she just started bawling. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, in the movies, they just sit down and they're great. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, Disney. Um, anyways, back to this guy. So drum, drum set, my, that's how my brain works. It goes in a couple of different directions at once. <clears throat> this, this guy was talking about the fact that he did drum lessons. And the challenge was, is that he could only sit with one kid for 30 minutes and get paid for that one 30 minute time frame. And so what he ended up doing is building, using a, a current learning management system to have a, a thousand kids at once sit and do the drum lessons. And he got paid the exact same amount that he got for each 30. So you take that times a thousand, right? And you've got a volume a thing using technology to automate. His competition was not other drum teachers. Mm. It wasn't even other musicians. It was, he goes, my competition was a soccer ball. 
kids wanted to go play soccer. They didn't want to learn to play drums. And so it, it immediately was about shifting your brain to say, what's the thing that's competing for your people's attention? It's not the fact that they don't want to adopt the product that you built. They probably eventually would. But their competition is they've got their own things to deal with. They've got Absolutely. a whole pack of other things that they've got on their plate. And the product that you have been drooling over and just sleepless nights on, they weren't thinking about no. it on their list. Um, I think that's, that's like that's a classic case of like a really good jobs to be done thread to be yes. pulled, right? So you're hiring this product, but what what other things would you hire in its place? And nine times out of ten, it's like, I don't know, maybe a nap or <laughs> yes. like I'd pick up the phone. You're uh -huh. like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that those were even in the same category. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. The soccer ball. That's exactly it. Yeah, because the job to be done and oh my clients want drum lessons. It's not right. that at all. They want right. something entertaining. They want something to do with their time. They want to feel progress. They want to feel like they're getting better mm -hmm. at a skill. And you throw that into what they're hiring drum lessons for. And right. Yeah, it completely opens up the competitive set. It's hard to, it's hard to see that though. If you're on a product team, you know, you know, because like you said, we, you and I could nerd out on Figma screens <laughs> and Jira tickets. Yeah. And there, there is actually, that does give us some level of joy of mm. actually producing, uh, mm -hmm. writing that code, seeing the thing work. And you almost forget that the, the, the true joy can come from actually seeing someone delight in the thing that you made. Yeah. But we miss that sometimes where we go, I'm actually delighting in the fact that I made a thing. Yeah, of course. Building um, for the sake of building. Right. And that's, yeah. I think that's a hard thing to do because, you know, we like doing it. We like building stuff. Um, One of the principles from a company I used to work for, it was the head of DevOps that came up with this, which I just love him for this. He said, it's better to build useful things than cool things. Yeah. So he would oh, remind always. people. And I was like, Dave, thumbs up to that. Let, it's us, a good one. let us not forget. It's <laughs> a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Okay. So speaking of learning, where do you go, you know, and you're, you're, you've been, been around this world of product for a while now, where do you go to learn and to, to grow yourself? I actually don't, truth be told, I don't do a ton of product reading anymore. It's okay. Um, yeah, I, that, I feel like I, I will jump back on it. I'll occasionally attend a conference. Um, I love learning from people in my peer set. So yes. I have a lot of one-on-ones now. Um, somebody in data, somebody else who's a CPO, moreover in content, uh, learning from people who are deeper in tech organizations, because mm -hmm. I feel like you can glean so much from them. So kind of this uh, mentor network, I really, really value those conversations. And having more high level, like, hey, I'm stuck on this. Or do you think a customer would even get value out of this? Um, and the two-way street of making sure that I'm at some level that can provide those questions and answers back has been really rewarding for me. Um, otherwise, I've spent, maybe it's just a side of 2020, I've spent a ton of time reading uh, Stoic philosophy in the last year. Okay. Yeah, I'm a huge Ryan Holiday fan. So he has a couple of books that are really accessible. Um, and daily, he has an email that's called the Daily Dad, although mm -hmm. I am a mother. Uh, yeah. The Daily Dad email is spectacular for parenting right. and kind of this honed in rhythm that helps me get up and go to work and do the absolute best that I can. 
I, I think I'm at a place where values of an organization mm -hmm. um, and making sure that I'm living and breathing those. We, we have an incredibly value-centered uh, organization at SCI mm. that that's what I'm learning to do more than anything. Um, so to hone in on those kind of patterns and functions and mindset has been helping me grow and push myself a hell of a lot further than anything else I've been reading lately. Um, and then I've I been on that. a big Brene Brown kick, of course. I got I mean, Natalie is great. It's hard not to love almost everything she puts out. I think she yeah. just, I did, I see she just started another podcast. She did. Yeah. Um, so she's got this more of a leadership bent, which is perfect for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it's important both like the Brene Brown side of things, which is philosophical in a lot of ways. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ryan Holiday. These are ways to get at the core of human beings, which is yeah. really what I'm trying to do as a leader is, is think about who my clients are. What are their emotions when they're entering into uh, new technologies? What are those feelings? And also, how are we communicating this out to the C-suite? So mm -hmm. maybe it's tears, maybe it's a pie, uh, but maybe you could actually get to that with places of vulnerability and empathy yeah. to make sure that you're quelling those fears. So reading has really helped me with those things as well. I I'm kind of right there with you, although I have a stack of books that I kind of force myself to go like, okay, Reading's good. I value it. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep doing it. I find myself. I grow and I progress a lot more when I'm just spending time with people. Yeah. And having and having really rich and meaningful. Like that's why I love doing the podcast, right? Because yeah. I get to sit sit down and learn from you, and learn from these people that have just all these incredible ideas. And um, I mean, let's be honest. In human history, the book has not been around for very long. You know, written yeah. text has is a pretty modern, modern idea. So the fact we kind of base all of our knowledge off of it instead of just having some conversations where we used to share knowledge that way. Mm. Um, I, I kind of love that, how manual that is, how, yeah. how interactive it is. Um, and terribly non-scalable. How delightful. Uh, oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Tracy, I, I've learned a lot from you. So thank you for coming on. Thank you this for a delight. Thank you. spending some time with me. And I've got some things to go to subscribe to now to go check out uh, The Daily Dad. And, um, <laughs> and I really appreciate it. Thank you for what you do. Um, I really appreciate your intention in it and your, your work to, to make the world better through this little thing we like to do called product. I love it. Thank you so much. You have a good afternoon. You too. All right. Bye. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us. Cheers.